Let's come here to John chapter 8. Got a lot to say this morning in a little bit of time. And uh, because we won't be able to say it all, we'll just go until it's necessary to be able to just minister to you and, and uh, help to see some wonderful healings in your body. Uh, this is an interesting passage here. It says, They went to each of his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 1. Amen. If the preacher doesn't say where to go, it's always verse 1. You ought to know that. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? And they said this, Test him, that he might have some, some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down on the ground uh, and wrote, uh, but when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Well, it's a wonderful passage because it really helps us to see some things here. And, uh, of course, this woman was caught in adultery and according to the law of Moses, according to the law, the law. Now, of course, if you're going to live by the law, the law is going to kill you. Because you won't be able to handle the law. I mean, just by the time you're getting good at getting four or five out of the ten, all of a sudden you mess up in one, it's just as good as messing up in all. Yep. See, that's the problem under the law. We've got to be very careful. In fact, we've not been careful. Let's just say it like it is. The church has adopted the Old Testament law or living by the law as its standard for perfecting what only Christ could do through salvation. Somebody help me with a big yep. amen. Yep. We know Ephesians tells us in chapter 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice in those two, two passages, he mentions about you that it's not you twice. Now, when you ever see God mention something twice within just a couple verses, he's trying to emphasize something. This salvation doesn't have anything to do with you. Amen. You can't do penance. You can't do all kinds of good deeds, good works, because all you got is a good sinner. Amen. Even if a man never did sin, he'd still be a sinner. He'd just be a real clean sinner, but nonetheless, he's still a sinner. It's the nature of man that condemns a man to hell. You have to understand that. We've all been born, according to the law of Genesis, into sin just by being born of the natural man. That's why the angels, we said this last night, I won't reiterate last night's sermon, but that's why the multitude of angels all of a sudden burst on the scene. Suddenly there was with, with the angel that was speaking a host of angelic beings shouting and praising God, dancing and having a good time over the fact that glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Yeah. Why'd they get so excited? Because finally a baby was born that was not born into sin. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. There never has been a birth in the earth of a human being that has been without sin except Jesus. He was the only one. And even in this passage here when Jesus said, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Interestingly enough, he's the only one that qualified. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's why the older left before the younger because they realized Jesus just shot a hole in their doctrine. Yeah. And they better hurry up and get out of here before they look any worse than what they do. Come on, religion is a real horrible thing. Yeah. It'll make you think you're getting somewhere and you're getting nowhere. Yeah. It's kind of like all the religious people that wanted to disprove that there was a miracle at the Red Sea. 
So they found a place with the Red Sea where there was a crossing where it was only two feet deep and said it was never a miracle that the, wa the waters parted. My goodness, these children of Israel went through just two feet of water to the other side. All these Christians talking about the miraculous, it's just not so. And yet they hang themselves because they don't realize that they're creating a greater miracle that a whole Egyptian army drowned in two feet of water. See, it's just better to accept what the Bible says. Praise the Lord, stop trying to use your brain. Jesus bent down, if you notice, that position. He bent down on the ground and pointed his finger. Of course, what finger do you write with? Do you write with the pinky? Do you write with this little finger right here, the ring finger? Now, I'm going to put all three of them up to tell you about the... Because one service, you see, you learn things from things that you don't do right. Amen. In one service, I happened to just not... I, it was a solo middle finger, okay? And then I realized, kind of like the Titanic, that that wasn't a real good thing to do. Brother Hagen told me one time, I've learned more about what I've gotten wrong than what I've gotten right. And I thought, you know what? Might as well follow suit. Praise the Lord. So do you write with the middle finger? No, not with the thumb, but you write with the what? The pointer finger, the index finger. And what is that finger also used for? It's used for judgment. So if you wanted to bring a little thought into this story, Jesus is using the judgment finger and he's writing on the ground. In other words, pointing to the center of the earth where not long from that moment, Jesus is going to take the sin of the whole world and he's going to condemn sin in the flesh. Jesus didn't come to condemn man, but he came to save man. Now here's the interesting thing. Once everybody left, Jesus stood up, looked at the woman and said, where are your accusers? Isn't it interesting that the devil is the accuser? The accuser of the brethren, he uses the law to accuse you of what you've not done right. And you know what? If it's by the standard of the law, there's a lot of things we don't do right. Or when it seems like you're not doing the wrong thing, you're not doing the right thing. Yeah. It gets you coming and going. And then Jesus brought this over into a brand new standard where he said, even if you do everything right or don't do things wrong, he said, if your heart's not thinking the right thing, according to a way a man thinks, so be it, out of the abundance of your heart will flow all kinds of evils. He brought it to another level where you just can't get away from the fact that if you're going to live out of your own performance, you're not going to look very good. Come on, somebody help me. Jesus said through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, It is for by grace that you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves it's the gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Paul also said in the second chapter of Colossians, verse 6, He said, In the same way that you have received Him, so walk in Him. Yeah. What do you mean? Well, if you get saved by grace, you're supposed to live by grace. And if it didn't have anything to do with you to get saved, it's not supposed to have anything to do with you to perfect your salvation. Actually, God likes to perfect things concerning you. God really wanted a part in actually perfecting your life in the way that you live because he made you perfect on the inside. God didn't make you perfect on the inside to perfect yourself. Come on, this is the reason why the angels were so excited because finally there was a baby born that could bring peace between God and man. Yeah. The baby that was born, Jesus, would remove the barrier called sin. Yeah. And why does sin become so sinful? It's because of the law, folks. That's the reason why even if you're going five miles over the speed limit and you see a cop, you put your foot off the accelerator, put it back over on the brake. Huh? Why? Because there's a measure of guilt when you know that you're what? Transgressing the law. 
Come on, somebody. Oh, you really, really, really are acting like right now that you've never had to take your foot off the accelerator and put a rubber on the brake. Now, over in Germany on the Autobahn, it was a little bit different story. In fact, I remember one time coming back as we were going to the, to the Munich airport, and uh, the guy that was taking me, we were going around some big mountains, the, the Alps and all. It was just really beautiful. And we came around this corner, and there off in the distance was the same castle that Walt Disney went over to and used to make the Magic Kingdom. Beautiful, up on this big, huge mountain, and it was raining, and so there were clouds hanging right over that castle, as you can kind of picture it, lush green grass all around that mountain, and this beautiful, huge castle. And we're driving just, you know, very quickly, and because I was looking this direction, I looked down at the speedometer, and we were going 120 miles an hour in a minivan in rain. I didn't think the tires of a minivan <laughs> were rated to go that fast. And my driver wasn't thinking anything of it. 120 miles an hour. And I heard this sound. And I looked over here and then had to look up ahead because it was a Porsche going about 150 miles an hour in the rain. And none of them were thinking there might be a cop. Well, how come? Because there's no speed limit at that particular place on the Autobahn. So if there's no speed limit, then there's no judgment. So you don't have to fear a penalty. Come on, somebody. You'll never walk in victory as long as sin is the issue in your life and the fear of some type of penalty or condemnation enters into your life and keeps you in the cycle of sin. You'll never get out. And if there's a cycle of sin, there's a cycle of sickness and disease. If there's a cycle of sickness and disease, there's a cycle of poverty. Come on. It goes in every area, not only sin, but what sin has done to bring to the body of Christ devastation to the human body and life. Notice what Jesus did. He removed the obstacle that would have kept the woman in sin. What did he say first? Don't sin. Actually, that's not what he said first because he wasn't here to condemn her. What did he say? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Notice what he did. He took condemnation away, which is he took her focus away from sin. And then said, go ahead and don't sin. Now, do you think that woman went ahead and shacked up with somebody else after that? I don't, I don't think so. Why? Because Jesus removed the object of sin. See, sin was never supposed to be the issue after Jesus died on the cross. Why? Because he actually took our sin. Turn your Bibles over to Romans in chapter 8. Now, there's a hundred different ways that we can go, and we could preach all night long on this, so I'm just going to share a few more thoughts here and there until you understand that sin is not the issue. You've got to get past the whole issue of sin. You've also got to get past this whole issue of sickness and disease. As long as it's the issue, that's where you will give your attention. Let me share something to you while you're turning over there. The human body, the human spirit... It's all been made in the image and likeness of God. You can't do anything to change that because you weren't the one that created you. When God created you, he created you in the midst of his creative nature. So in your spirit, your spirit man is creative by nature. That's not something you have to figure out. In other words, right side of the brain, left side of the brain, I'm a real creative person, artsy, or I can't do any of that. I'm just over here on the other side of the brain. No, your spirit, every spirit is creative by nature. What does that mean? That means what you focus on, what you meditate on, what you give your allegiance to, your spirit will go to creating that thing, especially if it's the thing that you are motivated by with passion, affection, or emotion. 
Well, I learned in my church we're not supposed to be emotional. Well, you know, you're being emotional anyhow. You're just being, you know, real, real stick in the mud. You know what I mean? <laughs> Amen. Uh, people thinking they're not emotional, they're just grumpy emotional. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so, you know, we just change our look on our face and get happy. Right. Amen. Amen. Sing that little song. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. <laughs> Amen. Some of you still aren't happy. <laughs> Amen. God made you as a creative spirit. So you got to be careful what you feed on. And if you make sin the issue, sin will continue to be the issue. We said this in our second service, but when one of my friends was asked a question, how come you don't preach more on sin in your church? He replied very quickly. He said, my people sin well enough on their own. Amen. But it's true. When has sin consciousness ever freed you from sin? When has preaching on sin ever freed? Well, it made me feel bad. Well, does making you feel bad make you feel like you can approach God because at least you're feeling bad? See, it's very interesting how the human body has been made to receive gratification. Your flesh likes to be gratified. Isn't it interesting how we'll do with God? We'll sin, we'll do something wrong, or we'll not do the right thing, have a wrong motive or something, it'll be brought to our attention, and we begin to feel bad. But we don't go to God immediately when we feel bad. We feel like if we can have a little lapse of time there so we can start feeling better about some things that we do, then we can approach God. Because our life is based on performance. And when your life's based on performance, you've got to feel good about what you're doing in order to feel like you can approach Him. We treat God... I'm sorry that I'm talking fast. I just don't have a whole lot of time here today. We treat God like frequent flyer miles. We're always trying to add up more points so we can get a free ticket. <laughs> Come on, this is inbred in our society, though, folks. It's something that's in the way that we live. We've always grown up this way. Even as children, you know, we're trying to please our parents, and if we don't do it just right, then, of course, and then we just have learned that when you do something wrong, don't even fight the punishment, because if you fight the punishment, then you get the punishment twice. Right? right? It's just better to lie down and accept the punishment. So we take that over to spiritual things, and the devil's just running right over us. And yet, who is the devil in the first place? He's a nobody. I said he's a nobody. You ought to know by now the devil's a nobody. See, you'll never walk in victory as long as the enemy seems to be anything in your life. Victory comes when you understand the enemy is a completely vanquished foe. You cannot be afraid of the devil. He is massively afraid of you. Amen. Remember, you're the one. You're the creation. Say, I'm the one. Man is the creation that has been made in the image and likeness of God. The devil has not been made and the angels are on the other totem pole. It's the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and man. We are our own special totem pole where God has made man in His image and in His likeness. Amen. I mean the devil at his best before he lost his fire and lost his anointing was still just a servant to man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Amen. If you're like my youngest, yes, ma'am, daddy. Still working on that one. In fact, I'm gone so much I come home and she still can't get it. Mommy, I mean daddy. And I mean five times in the same day. Mommy, I mean daddy. It's like daddy's home, honey. It's not mommy, daddy. It's a daddy. The devil is under our feet, folks. We've got to approach life so much better than we approach it. 
We're allowing him to eat our lunch because he's got our focus on the wrong thing. He's the accuser of the brethren and he's come to accuse us. Bring accusation into your life about what you haven't done and what you have done. And even if you seem to do the right thing, he still tries to tell you that you'll never get your answer. You've never gotten your answer before. What's going to make you think you're going to get your answer now? You see this person, you see that person, prominent people dying in the kingdom of God, word of faith circles. Well, if they died, they died of sickness and disease. What's going to make you live? I mean, the devil's mean. He'll come at you every single way but Sunday and then on Sunday. Just to tempt you and put into your mind. You say, oh, brother, I'm so worried. I've opened the door to the devil. Listen, the only door the devil has for you to open are thoughts. That's the only, you got to understand this. He doesn't have a big sickle with a, with a, you know, just to cut your head off. He doesn't have weapons. The only thing he has is a tongue. He's a mass of confusion that has a big tongue. We're probably going to mistake him when we get to heaven because we're going to see this big tongue brought out. (laughs) Flapping in the wind and think, who is that? That's the devil. And here all along, we've mistaken him for a big red guy with a big old pointy tail and a pitchfork. But he's not. Jesus whipped him. He defeated him. And the only thing he's got is a tongue. He's been defeated. He's been disarmed. And basically, he's just like a veggie tail. Amen. He can't hurt you. But he can bring accusation against you and keep you bound to sin. Come on, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, sin no more. Jesus took the condemnation out, which empowers an individual to live holy. Amen. Look here in Romans in chapter 8. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We've been learning some things, and I've been sharing it a little bit differently each time so that people that are coming here each time can hear it a little bit differently. But notice as we see here, it says in verse 3, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And if you go on, you'll see right here the struggle of man to either live by the Spirit or live by the flesh. And the flesh is enmity with God. And yet we think, yeah, that's what I'm trying not to do. I'm trying not to live in the flesh. No, 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 no. You've got to understand he's not talking about just the things or the deeds you do in your flesh. He's talking about you living according to your own performance where you're basing how you feel about you and God off of what you do. See, Paul took care of that over in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's nevertheless no longer I that live. See, Paul's attitude about himself was he was no longer alive. Well, who's alive in there? Well, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Cotton Patch translation says I've died, and now I'm enjoying my second existence, which is simply Jesus using my body. See, the moment, the moment, praise God, that Jesus died, you died positionally. If you died to sin, you can't be under the dominion of sin. And when Jesus took your sin, he didn't take just a little bit of your sin. I mean, religious people will accept the fact that when you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, he wipes away all your old sin, but now you got your new sin to, to deal with. Folks, he wiped away your new sin. Amen. I'm going to let that settle in because I know the three or four that said amen were just the ones that were here last night. 
Sorry I'm being a smarty pants. Praise the Lord, I don't have, I don't have time. <laughs> I'm going to let that settle in a little bit. You mean to tell me he's already been into my future and already canceled all sin? That's exactly what I'm telling you. You mean he took away sin? That's right. That's what I'm saying. He took away sin. Well, if there's no sin and he fulfilled the law, then there's no judgment. That's right. That's right. There's no judgment. Well, if there's no judgment, then there's no punishment. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's no punishment. I mean, then I don't have to feel bad. That's exactly right. Don't have to feel bad. Well, I know better. You need, to, you, need to, you need to feel bad, and I'm feeling bad right now. Well, it's because you're walking by your feelings. You're walking by sight. If you've been crucified with Christ, it's nevertheless no longer you that live, and it's Jesus who's living in you. You see if he's feeling bad right now. He's not feeling bad. His stomach's not hurting. His pancreas is working fine. Amen. He's not condemned. He's not under pressure. He's not stressed. If he's not, he's living in you, then neither are you. Well, brother, I don't know about that because I've been trying to really work on my life so I can get holy. That's fine. If I come back in here 100 years from now, you'll still be trying to work on your life to be holy. Because as long as you're in the picture, you're never going to perfect it in the flesh. That's what we're trying to talk about. Paul said it in the same way that you received him, so walk ye in him. Romans chapter 6, come on. I can tell right now you're chewing real hard. Amen. I can hear you chewing. Say, well, I want to feel bad about my sin. Well, that's your preference if you want. That just shows me how carnal we are because the flesh always likes to be gratified. You feel like if you'll feel a little bit bad about your sin, feel real bad about your sin, come up here and snot and do everything else, cry and weep before God, then that makes it better. I'm sure I'll get forgiven now. Not knowing Jesus already removed your sin. Well, how in the world am I supposed to look at myself if I miss it? Just like God looks at you. Well, how does God look at me? That's the whole idea and the reason why we're preaching. The reason why we preach is to show people how God sees you. Amen. You know, God didn't put his thumbs and his lapel over in Isaiah chapter 55 and say, you know, my ways are above your ways, my thoughts above your thoughts. (laughs) Remember now, we're on his totem pole. He's for us, not against us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Or you could say, if God be for us, what difference does it matter who's against us? That's right. That's why Paul said, I'm persuaded neither life nor death, the principalities of power, amen, nor things to come, things present, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. What is it that we're talking about this morning? God's love, his immense love that went to the degree to actually remove the very barrier between you and him so that God, by his grace and his ability, could be involved in your life, not only to save it, but to perfect it. Oh, thank God. There is an anointing that heals. There's an anointing that makes you rich. There's an anointing, praise God, that empowers you to live above every habit and every addiction, to live so pure and holy before God, you're at peace at all times. Do you realize if you could bottle that up right now, you'd be a gazillionaire? That's one thing the world doesn't have, the world will never have, because Jesus said, my peace I give you is not as the world gives you, to do I give to you. What did he say about his peace? He said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Isn't that what Solomon told us? Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of your heart flow the... Well, how can you guard your heart when your heart's full of condemnation? That's right. 
Come on, somebody, help me here as I go to the scriptures. I know I'm giving you a bunch. Over in 1 John chapter 3, it tells us in 20 and 21. You're over here in Romans chapter 6, okay? In 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 21, it says, If your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. But if your heart condemns you not, you've got confidence before God. The next verse says, And whatever you ask will be yours. Yes. Notice that the confidence before God is necessary to know that you'll have exactly what you've asked. But what happens to the confidence before God? It gets absolutely torn apart by your condemnation. That's the reason why you got to guard your heart with all diligence. Notice what it says. If your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. What's he trying to tell you? The whole plan and purpose of Jesus was to remove the obstacle of sin, to take so sin so far as the east is from the west that God would never remember it again. What does that do if he removes sin? It removes your judgment. Well, wait a minute. The judgment's attached to the law. That's why Jesus fulfilled the law. We read a scripture this morning in the first session. Maybe I'll read it right now to kind of give you a little bit of understanding here. But it was over in Lombok's translation of Colossians chapter 2. It says, But God forgave your sins and brought you back to life with Christ. God crossed out the whole debt against us uh, in his account books. So you've got to be real careful. In fact, it's real apropos right here that we've got a Christmas season going because I'm going to sing you a little song right now. It's a song that most people actually attribute to God. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Oh, you better watch out, better not cry, you better not pout. I'm telling you why. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Santa Claus is the only one that's keeping record. God's not keeping record. You mean God's not keeping record? That's what we're saying. God's not keeping record. Well, I don't know if I believe that because that makes it too easy to sin. See, you're religious. And you don't understand that God had a better way. If man was bound to try to get out of sin himself, then he didn't need Jesus to come in the first place to rescue him from the nature of sin. God planned this thing before the foundation of the world. Jesus was already the Lamb of God slain before this world was ever put together. You've got to understand something. God's system is the only way out. It's the only way to have peace. And that is by Jesus taking the sin of the world upon him and with your sin removed it as far as the east is from the west. Jesus was in hell with your sin paying a price that's beyond any comprehension known to man. Folks, you realize when Isaiah described him over Isaiah chapter 53, it described at first the whipping and the beating, the bruising for your sin and mine, for our sickness and our disease, the fact that his body was torn loose. I mean, flesh was hanging. Listen, he's just a mass of blood. And as horrible as that is, that's not even the half of it. That's just the physical part. Do you understand why Isaiah said that Jesus was so distorted that he didn't even look like human flesh or a human being? Do you know why? Because the soldiers beat him so bad? Well, they did beat him bad. And he was a mass of flesh, amen, and blood because of their beating. 
But that's not what made him so distorted. It's the fact that when he hung there, beaten, stripped naked with his flesh hanging off and blood cursing down his body, all of a sudden God poured into him the sin of the world. And when that sin began to fill itself up until he was completely full of sin, that body became so distorted with sin, it was no longer recognizable as human. Come on, just the opposite of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the glory of God began to course through his veins, go right through his organs, come out of his skin, go right through his clothes, and even all to the shape of his face until the disciples woke and saw him and said they could not even look upon him for the glory of the Lord. Beautified and glorified in Christ. In the same way that the glory beautified him, the sin of the world, caused him to distort and twist until it was no longer recognizable as human. And we would dare say today that I'd rather hold on to my condemnation and my thoughts of grief and my sorrow and my pity. When Jesus took it, he bore it from you. What does that mean? It means liberty. It means freedom. It means the oppression is gone. What does it mean? It means the devil doesn't have anything to accuse you with. Yes. Five minutes to 12, the Baptists are getting out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> to finish this, it says, he no longer counted the laws that we had broken. He nailed the account book to the cross and closed the account. Yes. Your account of sin is over. Past, present, and future. Oh, good, so that I can sin? Well, if you're thinking that, then at least I'm preaching it right. Because that's what Paul got too. Over in the sixth chapter, and we're there in Romans, the first verse, notice what it said. What should we say then? Are we able to continue to sin that grace may abound? In other words, somebody came up with the idea, okay, so sinfulness means God's grace is greater than sin, and where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Hey, I tell you what, let's help God's grace to abound. We'll sin a lot, and then God's grace will abound so much more, and it'll really glorify Him. Now, interesting, is it not, to this thought that someone gave Paul that Paul didn't respond by saying, you need to repent. He didn't say you need to repent. You need to stop sinning. He didn't say you need to stop sinning. Why? Because if you would have said you need to repent, you need to stop sinning, he would have caused them to come over to this side of making sin the issue. As long as you make sin the issue, your flesh will always be bound to being sinful. You've got to make what Jesus did the issue of your life. What did he do? He removed my sin. What does that make you? The righteousness of God in Christ. You mean if I'm righteous, then I don't have to be bound to sin? Your righteousness is your ticket into the grace of God. What a sad thing to have all this supernatural ability on the inside of us. I mean, it's way beyond anything we've ever comprehended, folks. Colossians 2 and verse 9 and 10 tries to help us. It says the fullness of the Godhead is living in a human body. 
the fullness of the Godhead. One translation says the plenitude of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is living in a human body. And then it goes on to say, and through our union with him, the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is living in you too, who is the head of all principality and power and might and dominion. Now you understand something. God actually likes us. And he rigged this thing for our success. This fight's been fixed. Whether you like it or not, it's foolproof. You will come out on top. And even if you were to die, which people think is such a bad thing, you'll find out it was actually the very greatest moment of your life because you went over into glory and saw Jesus. The devil can't win coming and going. And it's when you begin to see that you are released from the bondage of all your condemnation that you'll be able to first and foremost begin your life in Christ. So what did Paul say to their accusations about, let's go ahead and sin so that God's grace can abound? He said, you need to understand some things about what Jesus did for you. Isn't that kind of him? He didn't put him in condemnation. He said, come on over here, let me show you once again what he did. And notice what he begins to say here. He said, God forbid, for how should we that are dead to sin live in it any longer? Or do you not know? See, that was their problem. They didn't understand. That's why they're making accusations like that. They're kind of feeling like, wow, all this liberty is amazing because now I can go ahead and sin. God's grace didn't save you to give you the right to sin. God's grace saved you so you would never have to. God's grace didn't save you so that you could live a life of sickness. God's grace saved you so you would never have to be sick. God's grace didn't save you so you could live in poverty and still be in want and need. God's grace saved you so you would have riches and never have a need or want. You mean there's an ability to prosper beyond anything in your wildest imagination? I'm telling you, when you hear the word of God like it ought to, ought to hear it, it will seem like a fairy tale. It's too good to be true. And if you really go to the meaning of the word gospel, the gospel that Paul talked about that he wasn't ashamed of, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. What is the gospel? This message of grace, this message of your righteousness, this message of being free from sin so you don't have to make it the issue ever again in your life. And by not making it the issue and looking at Jesus to give yourself some resemblance. In other words, I'm not having a good day. Well, Jesus is. And because he lives in me, I'm having a great day. What happens when you begin to identify yourself with Christ? The ability of the Christ begins to work in you. Come on, let's, let's not have the fullness of the Godhead in us. The ability of the ages and live like we're not even born again. You want to say, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the death like his, we shall certainly be united to him with a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. There it is right there, folks. The issue is not sin. The issue has never been sin in your life. In fact, you're no longer a sinner. Wow, it got quiet in here, didn't it? It wasn't supposed to make you docile. It was actually supposed to empower you, make you feel pretty good about yourself, that Jesus came to remove the very obstacle we've been fighting against all our lives. The very thing that's been keeping us from being able to walk in the freedom and liberty of this victory. 
given us a reason to refocus. Come on, the next couple of minutes, as I read to you a couple different translations, let me just bring this to a close so you can understand it and then go out and begin to live in it. Romans 6, 6, the Good News Bible says, And we know that our old being has been put to death, that Christ on his cross, in order that the power of the sinful self might be destroyed. That person that was in connection with sin, that person's been done away with. Say, so, well, what happens when I sin? That means your flesh is identifying itself with sin, but your spirit's not, and it never will. You can't sin out of your spirit. Ever again. That's why we want to get yourself out of the issue of sin over into the issue of righteousness. Well, I'm trying hard, Brother Jim. Well, I applaud your effort. <laughs> but give up. You've been trying hard for years. What do you tell me that I have to do? Identify yourself with Jesus. You want to walk in the glory? Identify yourself with Christ. Let me, let me go ahead and just put some of these thoughts into a place where you can receive them. Isn't it interesting when our message is always about something that you have to do? It'll cause you then to become the issue. Personally speaking, I would rather talk about redemption like we're talking about right here and then add in faith principles than to talk faith, 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 and then go to redemption. You say, Why? Because if I talk faith, 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 then I got you on your search and on your journey to get some faith. Then you're going to try to use your faith. And then if it doesn't seem to work, you're going to try to get more. And then you're going to be in a never-ending circle where you, 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 and in those statements I just made to you, do you realize God wasn't in any one of them? But when sin's no longer the issue and he's actually set you free, well, you can turn your back on it. Well, I've been struggling. That's fine. Just put yourself over here in righteousness. What do you mean by that? Well, let me give you an idea. This one individual is a drunkard in town, and every individual that ever worked with him over the years always made him confess one thing before he left. Confess right now that you'll never take another drink. He said, okay, I'll confess I'll never take another drink. And by saying so, they made taking another drink the issue. Yes. Yes. And by making it the issue, it was the very thing that caused him to want to take yes. another drink. Yes. It actually empowered what he was trying not to do. It made him hold on so tightly to what he was trying that he never let go so that someone else called God through Jesus Christ could do the work. One little old lady got a hold of him, and that was the last he ever drank. He said, what was the difference? She told him one thing before you leave. I want you to promise me. He said, oh, please don't promise me not to take a drink. She said, actually, on the contrary, Willie, every time you want a drink, go get one. He said, well, I'm wanting one right now. She said, go get one. So he marched out the door, happy as a clam, going down to the store because he could now go get one because now the obstacle was no longer the drink. By the time he got to the store, went to take a hold of the door to open it up, go in that wine cellar, amen, to get himself a drink. I don't want this anymore. (laughs) The desire for the drink was gone. He no longer wanted the thing when he wasn't the one trying to make it happen. Oh, I've been trying, Brother Jim. That's the problem. You've been in the way. Stop trying. You didn't try to get your salvation. You accepted that there was no way to get to heaven except the Savior save you. You trusted in that Savior, and that moment grace went to work. You've got to trust that in your life, the areas of weakness or the areas of difficulty, even sickness and disease, that there's somebody that has a power that will work in and through you when you take your hands off of the... Well, but my body is the problem. I know it is. Get your issue over on Jesus. Yes, yes. I said, get the issue over on Jesus. 
Isn't it interesting? Today, as we've been talking, the whole time has been Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you know what happens when righteousness and grace and what Jesus has done become the focus of your life? Probably for the first time, it'll give you a real relationship with him. You know what the pitfall is? If it's always you, you could end up like so many people where their diligence has brought them into an amazing relationship with the word. They can tell you where any scripture is, but they don't know him. If we're seeing it right, where sin is not the issue, but Jesus is, you'll have a relationship with him. What did Jesus do to that woman? He said, neither do I condemn you. What did he take away from her? All the reasons why she was going to have to go from there with sorrow, feeling bad, and in her emotions that were low, stay in a place where sin would become possible again. He took it away from her and then empowered her. Paul did the same thing over in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, when he said, Awake unto righteousness and sin not. Notice, notice the progression. Not telling them trying not to sin and then awake to righteousness. That be you. He said, awake unto righteousness. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of God in Christ. What he did for you. How he eliminated sin and made you just as deserving as Jesus to stand before God. I'll leave you with this thought. In the Old Testament, when the priests were making sacrifice before God, they were always standing. Do you know why they were standing? Well, one of the reasons is because there was not a chair in the temple. That piece of furniture didn't exist. Well, why wouldn't God give him a chair? Because the job was never done under the Old Testament law. Because it was bound to an individual's performance. Performance was never good enough. That's why the priest had to continue to offer sacrifices of animals to cover the sin because never did one sacrifice take sin out of your life and clean your conscience up so that you could actually serve the living God without fear, condemnation, without inferiority, able to go before God in boldness where your heart was at peace. But isn't it interesting what Jesus is doing right now? at the right hand of God? Is he walking around trying to make sure that everything's just right? I don't know that I did everything. And Father's trying to tell him, well, you sit down, you're making me nervous. No, that's not what's going on. Jesus is actually sitting at the right hand and he has raised us up to sit together with him in heavenly places. What do you mean? If you're sitting, the job is done. Your part is over. Now it's what you believe about what he did that will cause his ability to overtake your inabilities, swallow up your weaknesses, and bring deliverance to the areas that you've been trying for so long to perfect yourself. Smith Wigglesworth used to sing a song. It was his favorite. It went like this, nothing between, nothing between. Nothing between my Lord and my Savior. You know, if there was nothing between God and you right now, wouldn't it be very easy, especially if there was some type of sickness, germ, bacteria, or virus in your body, if we laid hands on you for the power of God to literally smite that thing, drive it out of your body, and get you healed right here today? Yes. Seeing as though in Christ, you're not sick anyhow. He already took your infirmity and bear your sickness. Yes. 
Now over here and trying to make that happen, of course, you can get so bound up with your body, with your body, with your body, that just like Willie trying to, trying to not sin, trying to not be sick, you find yourself actually fighting against yourself because God can't get in there and help you. Well, yeah, but if I let go and just let God, I mean, I, I, I could possibly die. Therein lies one of the secrets. The reason why salvation and why redemption and why heaven is so amazing is because it takes away your fear of dying. Just like Jesus said, if you're not willing to lose your life, you never gain your life. What's he trying to say? If you're always holding on to that part where you've got to be in control, you'll never let him be in control and do the thing that only he can do. As long as it's you and God, your, your part's always going to mess up his part. Come on, faith is where you're doing the least and he's doing the most. Somebody in this room wants to be healed right now. Amen. Somebody's kidney. Amen. Who's that in this room? Praise the Lord. Somebody's back. Who is that? And I don't have to call these things out, but I can if I need to. Who in this room here, as a present, praise the Lord before Christmas, would like to go home healed and healthy? Amen. Tell you what, Pastor Mark's got this third service so well, so well tweaked. Amen. Everybody's healthy and strong already. <laughs> and for that, I'm really thankful. But today, are you seeing something? I mean, really, everybody's just pretty much like a cow at a new gate. It's just like this. <laughs> you know, usually at this point in the service, I try to tell everybody, actually, this was good news today, you know. <laughs> I mean, this was shouting, running the aisles, you know, praising, dancing, amen, hallelujah, I've been set free, amen. It's no longer I, but Christ that lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself. Woo, praise the Lord, sin is gone. Hallelujah, judgment's gone. Woo! 150 miles an hour, here I go. Oh, glory. Amen. No more condemnation. Ha, 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 ha. I'm not a welcome man anymore. I am empowered by Christ. And I got my vision and my focus and my gaze on Jesus and Jesus alone. It's what he did. It's what he's doing. It's what he'll always do. Sin, that's a bygone. That's the old man. I'm not attached to that man any longer. Sickness and disease, I'm a healthy man. And that anointing is now flowing. Amen. How do I know it's flowing? Because it's not me, it's Him. That's at work in me. That help you a little bit? Hey man, I want to do something. You know what I mean? You can't talk like that with wanting to get without getting up and wanting to do something. Hard to sit there and look the same as you came when you were there. Yeah, you're all doing a real good job of it. <laughs> Doesn't that make you want to go laugh at the devil? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like Mark Hankins says, swing over hell in a cornstalk and spit in the devil's eye. <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't that just awesome? Defying every law. On a cornstalk, you're swinging on a cornstalk. Swing over hell. Spit in his eye. That just empowers me. Amen. Makes me excited about my Jesus. Amen. It's kind of like the songs we were singing, isn't it? Thank you for the cross, Lord. How's it go? Thank you for the price you paid bearing all my sin and shame in love you came and gave amazing grace thank you for 
Just love the Lord. Thank you for your nails, pierced hands. Wash me in your cleansing flow. Now all I know, your forgiveness and embrace. Keys too high. Worthy is the Lamb seated on the throne. Crown Him now with many crowns. You reign victorious. Come on, sing with me. High and lifted up. Jesus, Son of God, the glory of heaven crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. Sing it one more time. Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you, Lord. Come on, lift your hands for just a moment. Father, I thank you this morning for what you're saying to us. Lord, let it reverberate in our hearts that the job is done. Lord, what are we to believe? We're to believe.